Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. March is Colon Cancer Awareness Month, and why should it matter? Well, colon cancer is in the top three for both men and women, also the third leading cause of cancer death, and in a lot of cases, it can be prevented. How? Well, these days there are more options than you think, and therefore no reason to avoid being tested if you're over 50 or have a close relative who's been diagnosed with colon cancer. Dr. Rebecca Sawai is in the studio. She's from Kaiser Permanente. She's a surgeon who specializes in colorectal cancer treatment. She's going to help highlight the latest in screening, prevention, and the diagnosis of colon cancer. Now, if you've ever had colon cancer or you know someone who does, you can join us in the studio. Tell us if you've done your colon cancer screening. And if so, what could you possibly say that might help your close friend to do it if they haven't already? You can join us at any time, 941-3689, toll-free, Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Suai, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me here. Now, colon cancer, is it as common as those statistics sound? I mean, you generally see people once they're diagnosed, all age groups. What what, what do you see in your practice? I do. I see a, a wide range of ages, men, women. All races, um, it, it's really an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Equal yeah. opportunity offender. I like yeah. that. So let's talk, about, let's talk about the current screening protocols. So most often we focus on people over 50. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a first-degree relative, a mother, a brother, a sister, a father, somebody who had colon, screening, colon cancer when they were young, that may change your screening protocol. But for the average general population, who do we target? Uh, well, anybody age 50 or older is really when you should be starting colon cancer screening. Is there ever a time when we stop? Uh, a little bit controversial, but uh, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, they, they're sort of a, a national agency. They, um, they recommend stopping screening at age 80 because the risk of going through procedures for screening becomes greater than the benefit that people get out of doing the test. So... So let's talk about some of those different screening modalities, and then we'll talk about some of the risks. There's simple stuff you can do. There's a little more complicated stuff you can do. Let's talk about the simple stuff. A couple of years ago, they used to just use hemocult. That's kind of fallen a little bit by the wayside. Why was that? Well, there were a lot of false positives with hemocult, and I think a lot of people weren't doing it correctly, really. Um, so the the correct way to be doing this hemocult test is to send the patient home. They were supposed to not eat any red meat or beets or all these specific dietary considerations. I think like fresh vegetables were yeah. on there. All those things we tell people to eat. eat. You know? uh, yeah, exactly. Um, they weren't supposed to do that. And then uh, after abstaining from those kinds of foods for three days, take a stool sample and then package it up and send it off to the lab. And it was kind of messy and... A lot to do. Yeah. So then practitioners were doing it in the office, but you'd do it with a rectal exam and you'd only do one stool card. And a lot of times there would be positive results from trauma um, because the way you get the sample is a little bit traumatic. So um, I think that that, there there were a lot of problems with that test. So so there's been an evolution um, for a a stool-based test. Um, I think more so now most people are doing an 
uh, immunohistochemical fecal occult blood test, which um, you don't have to be on a special diet before that one. Um, and you just can take a small sample of stool, put it in a vial, and drop it off at the lab. I call it the poke the poo test. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you get this little sort of a pipette, so it's like a... It's like a tiny little straw, and you poke the poo about five times. Then you put it in this little vial, and you can mail it off. The post office doesn't hate us because it's in a special package. Nothing is leaking anywhere. And it actually <laughs> has fairly good sensitivity specificity That's right. for finding blood in the stool. So now how often might somebody have to do that? Is that something they do every year, every other year, every five years? For that home kit, what's the guideline? Uh, every one to two years, so really, I think probably yearly is, is a better recommendation. And the idea is that if you have a problem, chances are you'll see some microscopic blood in the stool. Not the visual kind. We're not talking about, right. but I didn't see anything. We're talking about microscopic, so you right. would see it. You would find it on the test. Mm-hmm. And if so, then that would lead somebody to do other types of screening. Before we talk about those other types yet, some folks are still doing that flexible sigmoidoscopy and or barium enema. Is that something that we do a lot these days? I kind of thought it sort of fell by the wayside. It's it's gradually phasing out, I think, um, especially because um, with sigmoidoscopy, you're really only looking at the left side of the colon. And there are some studies that suggest up to 50% of colon cancers are going to be on the right side, not you're just the miss left them side. You're going to you only so you look left, yeah. Yep, that's right. So, okay. And then the barium enema? Oh, uh, well, I think kind of similarly, it's uh, it's a little bit of an older exam. And I think even maybe less commonly done, the radiologists don't practice it that often. It's probably not as reliable a test as it once was. Although it's still, it, it can be used and it, it's still an option. It's not probably the preferred method. Okay. So let's talk about that preferred method. What exactly the tests we're talking about? We're talking about that gold standard, that colonoscopy. Yes, the dreaded colonoscopy or, or life-saving colonoscopy, however you want to look at it. Why do most people dread it? Uh, I think there's a lot of fear and wondering what's going to happen. Um, for people who have actually had one, probably the reason they fear it is because of the prep, which is quite honestly, the big, probably the, the worst part about doing it. Uh, but the the test itself, I think um, it's a bit of a procedure. It usually involves some sedation. So you have to make some arrangements, then have somebody drive you to and from the procedure. and Take the um, day off of work. Exactly. And I think people fear that it's going to be painful or just embarrassment about the exam, about the body parts involved that need to be examined, I think, um, which are all reasonable reasons, but not um, if it if it could save your life, hopefully not a, a good reason to not do it. Well, you know, and I like to remind people that part of being in medicine is that we see things all day long. And, you know, you're a colorectal surgeon. You do surgery in the colon and rectal area. So, yes, there's a personal aspect of embarrassment, but realize that when doctors do a certain procedure all day long, it does not... They don't think of you personally and say, hey, look at this. They really, really don't. It's much more of a scientific sort of way that we approach medicine. There's a way that you can detach yourself when you're doing scientific work so that you really are just looking at the science of it. I completely agree. Sure, you can be embarrassed, but don't be because we don't notice. 
Exactly. <laughs> I mean, people say to me, you know, I forgot to, you know, do whatever. Clean my feet or shave my legs or I didn't wear my good underwear. And I'm like, really? Because now I'm going to notice because I wouldn't have noticed before. <laughs> now you just told me. Now I'm looking. Don't tell me. I won't notice that. Exactly. Abnormalities on your body that I'm looking for, I'll notice that. But, hey, your toenails haven't been painted, really? Uh, that's okay. I didn't know. So don't be so embarrassed. I agree. Yes, completely. Okay. So let's talk about this procedure, the colonoscopy, because colonoscopy is something I recall learning how to do when I was doing my residency. And if you go into certain fields of expertise, you do these regularly. Gastroenterologists do these. Colorectal surgeons, I'm sure there's a need for mm -hmm. you to do these at times mm -hmm. as well. When you're doing the procedure, the first step is clear out the colon. Mm -hmm. Why? Why is that so important? Well, the main goal with colonoscopy is to look at the lining of the colon. And so you really just want to see the lining. You don't want to have a bunch of other particles, uh, stool. stool in the, poo. In the way. Get the poo yeah. out of there. All right. Yes, exactly. Okay. Because you got to be able to see stuff. Yeah. And these polyps that we're looking for, some of them can be just a couple of millimeters or, you know, really, really small fractions of an inch. So so when you look with a scope, there's like magnifier. You're mm -hmm. looking actually on a screen. Right. So it's it's a way that you can identify if there's a polyp. And then if there is, in a lot of cases, you can do a little biopsy procedure right there. Right. That's right. When people are under sedation, are they feeling the colonoscopy? Um, well, they may be aware of the colonoscopy happening, and it depends a little bit on the person. Um, some people fall asleep and don't remember anything of the colonoscopy. I would say more of my patients, they kind of remember bits and pieces of it. Um, and our main goal is to make sure that they're comfortable and not having pain. So uh, so if they do express pain, something would be done about that. That's right. We don't have to pull a Katie Couric who did a colonoscopy without sedation. That's right. On no. the Today Show. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that was like, Nothing really? So bold. Really? Yeah. That was pretty wild. But I mean, good for her that she was willing to do that yeah. and or able to do so because I think her first husband had died of colon cancer. She was really trying to increase awareness. Yes. So she went ahead and did that. So. Yes. Go, Katie. But nobody else is expected to do this without sedation. No. Although some of my patients request to, and it's it's possible to do. Really? So, yeah. Uh, do they want to watch? I don't know if it's that or... Maybe they do. Some, you know sometimes what? they like seeing Go for it. what we're looking at. Also, I think some people, they don't like the feeling of being sedated. So I think as long as we can work together, it's, it's possible to do it either way. There you go. I mean, and you can survive it. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, if you find anything and you do a little biopsy, can that be done when someone is under sedation and or even if they're awake? Yes. Amazingly enough, the colon has no nerve endings like our skin does where it feels when it's being cut or that kind of pain. The colon really only senses if it doesn't get the right amount of blood supply or if it's being stretched too much. So, so that's one of those myths, shall we yeah. say, Yes, is people think, oh, no, you're doing something. Of course, I'm going to feel it. In fact, not really. Yeah. I mean, the brain right. is the other thing like that. It's a bundle yeah. of nerves, but it doesn't have pain receptors. I know. Interesting. And, you know, when you're doing a procedure like that, you really don't have to have a high level of anesthesia. Now, mm -hmm. some people, when they do a colonoscopy, do need anesthesia. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, anesthesia is different than sedation. Yes. What is the difference when you're doing a colonoscopy between those two? Because I think there's been a lot of confusion out there about that. Yes. So, uh, well, sedation, really the goal is to have somebody be 
like I was saying earlier, comfortable, not necessarily asleep, able to kind of wake up and answer questions if needed, whereas anesthesia is more kind of completely asleep where they may not be able to um, breathe on their own properly. Um, so it's it's an airway management kind of consideration. So, so some people really do need anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Some yes. people are okay with just sedation. Yes. And most people just sedation is fine. Yes. And they can even have a biopsy done that way. Yes. Okay. How long does a colonoscopy take? Uh, uh, typically about half an hour to 45 minutes. So it's not like it's hours of a procedure? No. Yes. Okay. So a lot of the fear that people describe, I understand. I haven't yet had to do a colonoscopy. Oh, what joy in a few years, <laughs> but not yet. And so when and if the time comes, I do hear a lot of people complain about the prep. But I honestly don't hear people complain as much about the procedure. They say they've gone through it, and it's not the procedure. It's really the prep that's the biggest issue. Do you think we'll ever get a better prep? Oh, I keep saying I'm going to win the Nobel Prize when I invent the best prep, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. Are you working on it? (laughs) Because if you're not working on it, we're not going to win a Nobel over here. Okay. There are some modifications. I think the hard thing about the most traditional prep, which is um, typically uh, like something called colite or gavelite or movie prep or things like that, they they all work by having you drink so much liquid that it just kind of cleans everything out. And the volume that is required to drink is a lot. And especially when you have to do it kind of under a time pressure. They tell you to drink a glass, you know, an eight ounce glass of this stuff every 10 minutes until it's gone, which it gets a little bit much after a bit. Um, So I think uh, newer preps are focusing on trying to get the same amount of cleaning with maybe not having to drink as much volume. The hard thing about that is that the liquid has to come from somewhere. So uh, preps where you don't have to drink the water, usually it robs it from other places in your body. So um, It increases the risk of being dehydrated. Right. So So that could be a problem. Yeah. So although we hate drinking all the liquid, because all of it's supposed to come out, probably better to be drinking all the liquid than to be having your body get rid of the liquid. Now, if you, let's just, okay, let's just say you're going to do a colonoscopy on a Friday. Would you be doing yourself any favors by drinking only liquids from like Wednesday on? No. That uh, doesn't change your prep? Not necessarily. Well, some people, there are some patients who have what I call a very slow colon, meaning it, it really just takes them a long time to move things through their system. And in that case, maybe it is helpful to be on a kind of liquid diet. It doesn't necessarily have to be clear liquids, but liquids for at least two days. Um, so starting on Wednesday for a Friday scope. Um, but I think that for the average person, really just being on liquids the day before is more than enough. So you can't like need less of the colon prep by having a liquid diet. You still got to do this whole colon prep. Uh, I usually recommend the whole colon prep. All right. Well, you dashed my hopes Sorry. of of sneaking away for colonoscopy. But eh, when the time comes, everybody can hear about it. I promise <laughs> I will not do it live on air, either on radio or any other fashion whatsoever. <laughs> Trust me on that. I'd be curious. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. I'm here in the studio with Dr. Rebecca Sawai. And tell me, if anybody out there has had a colonoscopy, what was the worst part about it? And what was surprisingly easier than you thought? You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Rebecca, have you had the joy of doing a colonoscopy yet? 
Uh, meaning having had a having colonoscopy? Had no, although I have had a flexible sigmoidoscopy. Oh, you've so. had even more fun. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. That one you're definitely so, awake. Yes, All yes. Right. So. so let's talk a little bit about the colonoscopy itself. So you do this procedure, you do a biopsy. When somebody has findings, there's different routines of follow-up colonoscopies based on what the findings are. In general, what is, if you have a completely normal colonoscopy, when should you repeat it for screening? Now, we're going to talk screening, not diagnosis, because we'll get to that in a minute. But screening colonoscopy, how often should you do that? That should be every 10 years. So if you had a had your first colonoscopy at age 50 and don't have any other risk factors and it was stone cold normal, then you're good until you're 60. So 10 years. 10 years. How? What if you forget? You mean in 10 years? Yeah, I mean, I wonder, you know, how can you, I guess, go into your doctor, find out, hey, am I due to check this again? Because a lot of folks, they might have moved in 10 years. And if they had this old That's recall true. system where they were told, we'll mail you a letter and you change your address, maybe the letter is going to go to some other place. Mm. So if you don't know, would it just be easy enough for everybody to just say, March, it's Colon Cancer Awareness Month. I'm going to call my doctor, find out when my last colonoscopy was, figure I think that's out if a, they need another one. I think that's a great way to do it. Yeah. My staff is going to hate me, but I'm encouraging everyone <laughs> who does see me in the office, you can call my office. We will try and find out when your next colonoscopy is done. Now, if you have a finding, there's different types of findings. Well, maybe before we talk about findings, let's talk with Tom from Makiki because the, the, the issue with the polyps is kind of complicated, and I want to hear what Tom has to say. Maybe he's had a colonoscopy done. Tom, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Can you hear me all right? Better than I can hear myself right now, so you go for that, it, Tom. That's wonderful. Um, because my father had a history of polyps, I elected to start my colonoscopies at 45, and the doctor welcomed that. So I had one done uh, every five years um, on around my birthday. So that's 45, 50, 55. I skipped my 60th simply because there's never been any findings. And I'm actually getting referred to one right now. But the last one I had a decade ago, um, the doctor was running late, and I specifically, explicitly asked not to be sedated. Uh, I just hate the sedation and waking up in recovery like three hours later. And the moment I experienced the slightest discomfort, he was late and he was in a rush, and he pushed it. And it was like, oh, God, I'm out. And frankly, not to be perverse, I'd rather watch. I mean, I'm a biologist by training, and I'm really interested in seeing what he's looking at. I, I respect um, that, Tom. I hear you. And so I've, if, I've, if I might entertain a question, uh, the first one is, just uh, from the look of the scope, it looks like it should be able to reach all the way to my appendix. Do you actually inspect the ascending colon? Do you get that far? And it seems to me that it's long enough and flexible enough and manipulable enough. And um, I was delighted to hear you say that, that essentially you know, clipping off and cauterizing polyps internally is not perceptible, let alone painful. Um, so that's pretty much all that I wanted to throw in, a little two cents. Um, I am actually looking forward to my next one simply because I have never been able to see the movie. They've never let me go through it without sedation. Well, Tom, so it sounds like you're going to be able to do it without sedation. That is possible. Most doctors should feel comfortable with that. If not, talk to the doctor beforehand. Come up with a comfort level for you. Dr. Rebecca, do you see the appendix? 
uh, we see the opening of the appendix. Now, the scope is too big to actually fit in down the appendix. Yeah. But yes, you're right, uh, Tom. The colonoscope actually does get all the way over to the the ascending colon, the very beginning of the colon, where the small intestine meets it. And sometimes we can actually even see the last part of the small intestine with the colonoscopy also. All right, Tom. So that's the deal. You've done a great job being proactive about your colon. Be proactive about your desire not to have sedation. And again, you know, there are people who are really curious and they like to see stuff. And I grant them all the curiosity that they possibly want. I think it's great. Good for them. That's right. Right. Knowledge is power. It is. Now, I'm curious, and this this is... Tom didn't ask this, but I'd just be curious. Do you guys keep a video of the colonoscopy? We don't. That's a kind of prohibitive. We do take pictures. Um, It's a lot of bandwidth to store that many movies. But maybe at some point as we move more and more into the digital age or if clouds become bigger and more capacitance and all that kind of stuff, maybe we will. But so like someone like Tom who said, I really want to see pictures of the colon, he could actually get physical pictures. Mm Mm-hmm. And that would maybe not suffice. Hopefully he won't be sedated for his next colonoscopy, but he could at least get photos. Yes. All right. I've seen some of those photos. You know, sometimes they'll be sent to referring doctors and they'll show you the area they biopsied or whatever it might yeah. be. And It's great. It gives you a real sense of what, what happened if you weren't there. Yeah. Or if you were <laughs> as the patient <laughs> yes, and you want and what, to know, yes. like Tom. Well, you know, kudos to you, Tom, for not being scared to be awake. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Rebecca Sawai from Kaiser Permanente. And when we come back, we're going to talk about different types of polyps. What is the monitoring schedule depending on the polyps and which ones are more likely to be precancerous? Now, if you've had a colonoscopy, if you've been diagnosed with colon cancer, we'd like to hear from you because this is Colon Cancer Awareness Month. And you may be able to share something that would encourage another listener who's a little afraid about the colonoscopy to jump in there and go get it done. And anything we can do to save a life is what we're all about here. So you can give us a holler, 941-3689. Toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. On the next Humankind, the whole discussion of what effect the mind has on the body in many ways is is sort of a misnomer because it comes from an assumption that the mind and the body actually operate separately. How the mind-body connection translates thoughts and emotions into our physical health. I'm David Freudberg. Join us for Humankind. This evening at 6.30, right after Marketplace. A trip to Croatia can make you think you've traveled back to a different century. There's still a lot of old ways. People still mow their lawns with a sling blade, and there's still cattle on the first floor of some people's houses. And a visit to Albania comes with a big welcome. They, I think, are super friendly because they're just so happy that the world has decided to come visit them. Explore the Balkans plus northern Italy on the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m. following Fresh Air. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributor Oceanside Hawaii Assisted Living and Memory Care. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio. You're listening to The Body Show. I am here with Dr. Rebecca Sawai. She's from Kaiser Permanente. She is a colorectal surgeon. And today we're talking about colon cancer awareness because it's something that can happen 
top three for men and women every year, and actually the third most common cause of cancer death. So we really want to make sure that everybody knows it's important to do your colon cancer screening, whatever type that you choose. And right before the break, we were talking with Tom. He wants to be awake for his next colonoscopy. You go for it, Tom. You want to have a biopsy done? Your colon is not going to have the type of nerve endings that your skin would, so you could do that and still be awake, and hopefully everything will work out for you well. Now, let's talk about possible findings, because polyps are things that you're looking for in a colonoscopy, and there's different types of polyps. There's tubulose, tubulovillus, adenomatous. Which ones are the who cares polyps, and which ones are the big bad polyps? Let's talk about the who cares. Let's talk about those like hyperplastic Hyperplastic polyps. polyps. They're like, oops, that's really part of your colon. It's It's like a callus. I tell people it's like a callus. Like a callus. So So, it it just looks normal. Well, under the microscope, I think it's just, it's like a little bit of extra. uh, Like a skin tag, you know, like a skin tag. So you get those, they don't increase any risk. You have a bunch of those. So what, still you're considered to have a clean colon? Yes. Okay. Now, what are some of the, we don't like them polyps, but they're not really bad. Uh, So that's moving into the adenoma family. So tubular adenomas are probably the less worrisome, less bad actors. Although left alone long enough, those tubular adenomas can can go on to become colon cancer too. But what's, what's long enough? On average, it takes about 10 years to go from a less than one centimeter polyp to a colon cancer. So it's a slow growing, slow changing kind of thing. Okay. Tubular, not so worried, but don't ignore it. That's right. Okay. What other kind of adenomas do we got? Uh, then there is the villus adenoma, which is uh, kind of worse. I remember it because it sounds kind of like a villain. But, villain. But, villain adenoma. Yes, there you yeah, go. Yeah, villus adenoma. And okay. then there are also tubulovillus adenomas, which have features of both the tubular adenoma and the villus adenoma. So if you have something that says villain, mm-hmm. you yeah, need you, to worry about that. Yeah. And how worried should you get? Uh, well, I think as long as it's removed uh, and you follow up with the recommended surveillance kind of schedule. Uh, it's not the worst thing. You don't have to feel like you've got a scarlet V or something on your shoulder. Uh, but You're not a villain if you have a no, villous adenoma. That's right. Okay. And so the monitoring, does it depend on the size of the polyp? Both the size and the number of polyps that are found. So uh, I think larger adenomas, so adenomas that are more than a centimeter in size or adenomas that, that if you have more than three or three or more, sorry, uh, you should have more frequent surveillance. Okay. And so when we talk about frequent surveillance, some people are told one year, three year, five years. What's what's the general rule of thumb there? It really depends on uh, kind of what the adenomas look like and how many there were. So I think if you had two tubular adenomas, you should get your next colonoscopy in about five years. If you had more than two adenomas, probably in about three years. So, And then if there were a lot more than two, if it was more than 10, probably you should have a follow-up in about a year. Um, or if it seemed like the polyp was incompletely removed, then you need to have a, a follow-up procedure probably in more like six months to a year. Now, when we take these polyps out, if they were precancerous, you won't have a problem because you've taken them out. Well, uh Yes. With that particular polyp. That's right. But once you grow a polyp, let's say it's a villous one, a, mm-hmm. a villain one, are you more likely to grow another one? You are at risk for making more. That's right. 
So you won't get cancer from the polyp we removed, but you still could get cancer because you're a polyp producer. That's right. You're a polyp maker. And if you are, you just got to keep an eye on that. That's right. You just have to accept it about yourself. It's like if you have fair skin, you just know you should wear sunscreen when you go outside. Yeah, so don't try and get a tan. Don't do it. I used to try that. I turn red. <laughs> Bad plan. So if you're a polyp maker, yep. respect the fact your body makes polyps. Is there any reason why your body makes polyps? Like there's no real dietary intervention I know of other than... You know, eat fiber, don't get constipated. That's more for diverticula, those little pouches. Yeah, that's right. Is there any sort of protective food? I don't I don't know of any. We haven't really identified anything that's that's really great. Um I think that as far as being polyp makers, there are certain folks out there who have genetic conditions that predispose them to making polyps. Um or um yeah, it's it's really more like the different flavors of hereditary syndromes that And we do know that if you eat a lot of red meat, you might be more likely to have troubles. So it's not really preventative to not eat red meat, although you might decrease your chances if you were a red meat sensitive polyp producer. Maybe. Yes. I I think maybe it's kind of hard, really, to know those things. Most of the studies done with dietary changes have been retrospective. So they Mm -hmm. kind of look at everybody and say, "Okay, you guys have pollen problems. You guys don't. What's the difference in your diet? And it's not really prospective. I don't really think right. we could do a trial. It's not like a that. good causal kind of relationship that you it's can kind of hard either. to make them. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got a couple of callers on the line. Let's get started with Kim from Kapahulu. Kim, what can we do for you today? Oh, hello. Can you hear me? We can hear you great, Kim. Welcome to oh. the Body Show. Oh, hi. Thank you. Yes, my concern is about the colonoscopy. Um, I have pretty severe sleep apnea, and so I'm wondering. Can I have the colonoscopy with sedation without having apneas that would wake me up during the procedure? What a great question, Kim. Dr. Uh, Beck, I'm sure you've heard about this before. Yeah. For my patients who have sleep apnea, especially if it's pretty severe, I usually recommend that we... If they if they would like to have some medication for it, um, I usually recommend going with an anesthetist to help manage and make sure that you're not having apnea during during the procedure. They they watch your airway really closely, make sure you're breathing well, and they provide enough sedation that that you don't have to worry about it. Oh, good. Oh, that's great. All right, Kim. So sleep apnea, not a reason to avoid colonoscopy. Oh, right. Sorry I took that away. (laughs) But good job, though, and great question because a lot of people have concerns about that, about their breathing, whether it be emphysema or, in her case, sleep apnea, or in other people's cases, some other kind of a problem. If you have a breathing issue, you can still do it. We can manage that. That's right. All right. Let's talk with Gary from Kona. Gary, welcome to The Body Show. Yeah, thanks. Um, Yeah, I've I've had a couple of colonoscopies in the past, so... I thought, well, I know all about it, and I know about the prep and that sort of thing. But So I didn't even bother re- reading detailed uh, the instructions I had until a couple of days beforehand. And then I saw the first thing, don't eat nuts, seeds, or whole wheat for seven days prior to the colonoscopy. And that was that was something that looked kind of new to me. And I, I thought, well, shoot, you know, so I called the doctor up and... Uh, she said that, yes, because of the scopes now that are smaller and uh, that you have to be careful about the, the nuts and that sort of thing. So I just wanted to bring that up and um, let people know, read the instructions first thing. You know, don't wait until, even if you've had it before, don't wait until a couple of days before. 
That's a great point, Gary, because that's new to me, too. Dr. Rebecca, really? No nuts or seeds? Well, uh, for a whole week, that seems a little bit harsh, but um, there is some data that shows that you get a better prep if you don't eat foods with seeds or nuts um, for at least like three days before the colonoscopy. I hadn't heard seven days, but I think um, it, it also reflects that there might be a little bit of range in in practice between different doctors and what they recommend as far as how to get the best prep possible. Because um, do, like, do the seeds get stuck? I mean, you're doing that colon prep with that wonderful liquidy stuff that is making you poo yeah. clear liquid. Well, flax Maybe seeds can kind of stick around for a little really? while. They can cling right. to the lining a bit. So uh, depends I, on I, the seed. It depends on the Better seed. Better safe than sorry. Yeah. At least three days. Maybe longer. All right, Gary. I was educated by that, too. So thanks for calling in. Just when I think we can help other listeners, you can help me, too. <laughs> All right, we have Marie from Macaulay. Marie, welcome to The Body Show. Uh, yes, I wanted to uh, ask the doctor. You know, I have a tortuous colon, and I've also had four uh, colonoscopies, and almost each time there were three polyps. So um, is there any new advancements or techniques to, or scopes for my situation? Is there- that's a really, um, uh, lots of good questions, Marie. Yours is too. Lots of people are told you have a tortuous colon. Uh, Dr. Rebecca, what is a tortuous colon? It sounds torturous, but, <laughs> but what is it? What is it? Why, why should we worry? Literally, it means you have kind of a twisty colon or a, a colon that makes uh, longer or sharper bends in it. And that can happen, um, well, some people just have kind of longer lengths of colon than others. There can be some variation there. Um, also, if people have had surgeries before in their abdomen, that can create scar tissue that can cause stretching or looping of the colon in, in a way that makes it a little bit more difficult to navigate with the colonoscope. Um, a couple of times I've had some patients where it's been so difficult to get the colonoscope through that we actually don't finish it. Um, and actually do something else like a CT colonography in that case where it's a special CT scan. You still have to do a bowel prep for it. It's still kind of miserable. They make you drink stuff, and they also put contrast and air up from the bottom. Uh, and so, then if you find something in an area... And then if you find something, you still have you to go and take see, care of it. you got to yep. kind of figure something out to do it. So, yeah. All right, so Marie could do that, but because she's had polyps, she should do some type of colon testing, whatever interval her doctor yeah. said, and yet also keep in mind that, you know, I'm sorry, Marie, you have the tortuous colon. You just have tight twists and turns. They do also sometimes recommend a pill cam. So there are pill um, video cameras. These are kind of alternatives, really, if the colonoscopy doesn't work. There's But there's a capsule that you could swallow that has a camera in it. It's not as great for looking at the colon because it only takes a picture every so often. And you don't know if you're going to get the whole lining really captured that well. Um, but that is another option if if you can't do the colonoscopy. Sure. And some of the alternatives are good, but as alternatives, they're not really the best. That's right. Still and not the if preferred. You, sure. If you see something and you go, how do I get to that? Yeah. It might result in like an actual surgery. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's talk with Lloyd from Kaka'ako. Lloyd, welcome to the body show. Yes, aloha. Aloha. Uh, part of your uh, uh, program in the beginning, I I spaced out. Is it possible to take take a stool test to see if you need a colostrum or whatever it is? Great question, Lloyd. You know, because it's always good to review. So we talked a little bit earlier 
There are some stool tests. The one that is used most commonly with the best statistical specificity and sensitivity, meaning it'll see stuff when it's there and it won't see stuff when it isn't, there is that what we call the IFOBT test, the Immunofecal Occult Blood Test. It's a simple little kit you can get from your doctor's office. Uh You do this little poke-the-poo test. You mail in this little vial full of fluid and this kind of pipette or, like, miniature straw that Uh has some of the poo in there. I see. And if you do have a positive result, that may tell you you need to go taking a look to find out why there's blood. Then you do something like a colonoscopy. If you do that test every year for 10 years and you have 10 negative tests... That's actually almost as good as doing a colonoscopy once every 10 years. So if you do it every single year and you're really good at it Uh and all the results are negative, chances are you're going to be okay. That's perfect. That's a lot easier than going through that cholesterol vein or whatever. Uh, I'd rather see see if something's wrong in in the stool first and if we could find out from from that test. I can get from my doctor. You can. And you know what, Lloyd? There's there's another test we're going to talk about just mm-hmm. briefly that has come out. There's something that is called Cologuard. Now, mm-hmm. there's a gastroenterologist at the Mayo Clinic that was really trying to spearhead this. And basically what they've determined is that they can do a multi-point test of abnormal DNA in the stool. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of another advanced test that they're looking at. Medicare actually covers it. Now, this is plain Medicare, not sort of any kind of advantage plan. But they cover this test for certain individuals if you meet certain criteria every two or three years. So there's there's a whole lot of ways that we're looking at trying to determine the risks for colon cancer. And that's one of the other possible tests that's out there. So my, my basic recommendation is talk with your doctor, see what your options are, see what you feel most comfortable with. But know that for those people who are not afraid of colonoscopy, Please do it. It's still the best test. Right, but if sure. you if you but are afraid of colonoscopy, other way. yeah, there's yeah. some other options out there. So yeah. basically, there's no excuse for not doing anything. Right. I thank you very much. You've been very helpful. All right. Thanks for calling us, Lloyd. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Rebecca Sawai from Kaiser Permanente. We're talking about colon cancer today, colon cancer screening. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about how do you treat it? What are the current modalities of treatment? what kind of surgeries are needed, and if that doesn't give you motivation to go get screened, I don't know what will. Smaller the cancer, easier the procedure. When we come back, we're going to talk more about that, but you can join us, 941-3689. Toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Simon Winchester's new book, The Pacific, tackles an enormous subject through anecdotes and situations that say much about the vast ocean where east and west meet and often collide. The Hokulea and the Hawaiian Renaissance are key elements of his narrative, and we'll speak with him tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. This week, New Letters on the Air remembers several influential feminist poets who talk about what it was like before women's rights changed the publishing world. Here's the late Maxine Cuman. The editor of a national literary magazine said to me, uh, gee, I really like these poems and I'd like to publish one, but I published a woman last month. Feminist poets on the next New Letters on the Air. Tuesday evening at 6.30. 
Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting and Sacred Hearts Academy. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Rebecca Sawai from Kaiser Permanente. She is a colorectal surgeon. She's the doc you see when you have findings on your colonoscopy. I didn't even realize I rhymed there, Dr. Rebecca. (laughs) Now, we're going to be talking about colon cancer and what happens when you're diagnosed. Now, if you've had colon cancer, if you've ever wanted to know if there's something else that could put you at risk for developing colon cancer, you can give us a holler, 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, while we were on our quick little break there, we did have a shy caller call in and say, hey... Just as a little note, when you're doing your colonoscopy and you're on your way home, bring yourself a Depends or an adult diaper or some kind of pad, something, because that'll help you. There might be some residual fluid that comes out, and wouldn't it be nice if you came prepared? Always That's good, good advice. Good it advice. is good advice. You know, I've learned a lot today. I learned from Gary and the flaxseed issue, and I've learned from our shy caller and lots of good information about it. Now, let's talk about what happens when you get diagnosed with cancer. So if you're told you have a polyp that is cancerous, what's the next step? That's kind of where your role comes in. Yeah, that's where I do a lot of my my stuff. Um, it really depends on how how big the cancer was, where it was, if they were able to remove it. There are some cancers in polyps where it's just a little cancer in a bigger polyp, and the gastroenterologist or whoever was doing the colonoscopy was actually able to remove it all. Um, And sometimes um, that's enough treatment. Um, But usually I'm seeing patients where they haven't been able to remove the, the cancer, and it's a matter of what do we do now? How do we treat it? So there are a couple things that need to be done. Um, First, we like to do what we call a staging evaluation. So you want to check and see if the cancer could have spread to other places besides the besides the colon where where they diagnosed it. So like where does it go? Lymph nodes? Lymph nodes. Okay. Lungs, uh, liver, probably lymph nodes first, liver next, and then lungs is the third most common place. And it's kind of important because if the cancer has already spread, then your treatment options are going to be a little different. Right. Okay. So let's say somebody comes in and their cancer has not spread. Their gastroenterologist couldn't take the polyp out completely. It's a little bit bigger. They just couldn't go in and get all of it. They don't have what we call clear margins. Clear margins are pretty important. It means that on the edge of the piece that you took out, there's normal body cells. It doesn't look atypical or cancerous. And you kind of want to achieve clear margins to know you got it all. Absolutely. So let's say someone sees you and they haven't gotten it all out. What happens then? Uh, Usually I recommend, as long as they're in good medical condition, I recommend that we do a surgery to remove a segment of the colon. And for those, myself included, naive enough to think about it, so do you just like, you know, take a garden hose kind of, cut one end, cut the other end, get some duct tape and put it together? That's probably a little too weird of a description for most folks. But uh, like, is that kind of what we're doing? Basically, yeah. I'm kind of like a plumber. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't really mean to insult you and call you a plumber. But I mean, no, so it's, it's not good, duct tape, but I mean, there's a way yeah. that you can take it out and you not. I mean, some people fear, oh, no, I have to have a colon surgery. I therefore will have to poo in a bag. They just assume colostomy. And that's part of the reason they get scared of 
colonoscopy that's right. doing the screening. So that's right. not everybody needs to have the poo in a bag. That doesn't happen that often. That's right. That's okay. Right. So what might happen? Somebody comes in, you do a surgery, you do usually laparoscopic can, or open? Usually laparoscopic. We, um, I think that that's becoming increasingly common. Um, and for most people, when they have kind of a small to medium-sized colon cancer, that's a really good way to take care of the problem. Um, and usually what we want to do is take out where the the tumor is, as well as the blood supply that's related. So that means we end up taking out a bigger piece of the intestine than most people would think. It's not just the area right where the colon cancer is. You you want to get a little bit of tissue, the, the margins that you were talking about before. You want to have some on either side and then put the intestine back together. And you can do that with using different types of techniques. But these days, people can do surgery laparoscopically. That's mm-hmm. just the little pukas that you get, and you don't have to have a big incision. Some people may still need the big incision, That's but right. for those who can do it laparoscopically, you can actually do that whole surgery through a scope that is maybe not even as wide as your thumb. That's right. Although there is still usually an incision that's, you know, it's the little incision, but an incision where we remove the intestine. So okay, it's not so you totally still have incisionless. To- But it's much less than it used to be. That's right. Okay. So once you remove this area and you put the colon back, how does that function again? I mean, basically, like, how do you make sure there's no leaks? I've done that with the hose and duct tape doesn't do it. So how do you make sure there's no leaks? Uh, Well, the area where we really want to test and make sure that it's not leaking is the the when we do an operation for rectal cancer um we yeah okay i'll give you that beyond that um we actually don't have a great test for checking for leaks other than visually looking at where we've put it back together and as we reconnect the intestine we are pretty careful about looking and making sure that we get all the layers to meet up correctly when we're we're sewing or um, using a stapler to put everything back together so there's enough layers that if the first mm-hmm. one isn't completely healed, second, third, fourth, or whatever it is, That's right. that will all be sealed so you don't have to worry. That's right. And so if you have, is there ever a situation where you can have too much of your colon removed? I mean, I would imagine if you have, let's just say, three precancerous polyps in three different areas. So you've got to take out portions of the colon in three different places. How much colon can the body tolerate being removed before it can't? function like a colon? Uh, well, you can you can survive without any of your colon. You can lose your entire colon and rectum and still have a happy, productive, and wonderful life. Uh, but it does make for some changes in how your, your life is if you have to get rid of that much of the colon. Uh, how long is your colon? A little, well, typically between three and five feet for most people. Okay. So you can lose a certain portion, still have it operate as a colon. Yeah. You could lose the whole colon, but then you—you you, then that's when we're talking colostomy. Uh, or we actually can make a pouch out of the small intestine and connect it up down to the last little bit of the rectum. So you so do actually then, remove the majority. Even then, you can still poop out the bottom. So you don't have to worry. Don't fear that bag. Not necessarily. Okay. So. All right. We've had a couple of uh, a couple of folks call in and be a little shy, not want to go ahead and yet announce who they are, but hey, I'm with you. And one of them said, hey, I'm 35, diverticulitis. Do I have to worry about colon screening or should I wait until I'm 50? So he's wondering about risk factors for colon. Are the pouches a risk factor? The diverticula are not a risk factor for colon cancer. All right, not a risk factor. If you have one polyp and you have to have that removed and you have it removed, we talked a little bit earlier about this, do you have to go in and take out more of it? I guess it would depend on the size. 
If it was completely removed, yeah, if it was like a two millimeter or three millimeter polyp and it was removed, no problem. You don't have to have another scope in like six months to check that. That's that's going to be fine. But you should have another colonoscopy. If it, that was the one thing that they saw, you should have another one in like five years or so. Okay. And if you have a lot of polyps, multiple polyps? Multiple then... polyps. Then that's more like in a year we should recheck that. Okay. And if you have cancer, if you've had cancer and you've had surgery, how often do you have to redo a colonoscopy? Is it safe to do a colonoscopy again? It is safe, and it's highly recommended that you do another colonoscopy again. For most of my patients, I tell them they should get their first colonoscopy at a year after their operation. And then depending on what the findings are at that colonoscopy, that determines when the next one should be after that. So let's say that you had surgery and then get your follow-up colonoscopy at a year, and that looked good. Then you're off the hook for three years. So the next one is three years after that one-year one. And then if that one looks good, then you can have your next one in five years. But if you've had colon cancer and had an operation for it, you really should be getting a colonoscopy at least every five years. Just to be 100% certain. Right. Because whatever risk factors that you have that allowed cancer to develop in the first place may not change if they're genetic risk factors or environmental or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure you don't have it again. Yep. Now let's talk different locations of colon cancer because, you know, there's different spots and depending on which side it's on, it often causes certain types of symptoms versus no symptoms. So we've talked a little bit about the polyps that grow into cancer. What about the actual cancers that are large enough to just be a tumor in the colon? Let's talk about the right side of the colon. Do you have symptoms in Typically, a lot of cases? a lot of cases, no, they can be silent. Um, people might develop anemia or um, have a really low blood count, um, and that that might be the way that you find out that they have colon yeah, cancer. that was my mother so, in December. She had yeah. a really bad anemia, found out right-sided colon, colon lesion, and it's actually pretty advanced. So, yeah. so it could be no symptoms other than anemia. Yeah. Okay. Transverse colon, that little upper portion that kind of crosses from the right side to the left. Symptoms? Um, sometimes, and this can be true of the right side of the colon too. If the cancer forms in such a way that it's a ring where it's growing around the entire tube of the colon, um, it can cause a blockage kind of set of symptoms where you get bloating, um, kind of crampy abdominal pain. Um, you might feel like, oh, just nothing agrees with me anymore. I feel like I have indigestion all the time, Th those sorts of things. So like subtle symptoms. Pretty subtle. But things that are nagging enough that right. you should they get it don't checked get out. A, they don't go away. Okay. And so what about left-sided colon? Is that, do most, you said about 50% of cancers, they could really be anywhere, yeah. but it could be right or left. That's do right. we have symptoms on the left side of the colon? Uh, sometimes. Typically you'll see, uh, can see more bright red kind of bleeding with, with the stool in left-sided colon cancers. You might also have a little bit more change in your bowel habits where you feel more constipated or might notice that the stools are becoming skinnier. Um, they talk about caliber. pencil stools. That's right. Okay. Because so. they're trying to squeeze through this narrowed area. Right. And so they change in size. That's right. Now, what if you have hemorrhoids? How would you know bright red blood, oops, is it a hemorrhoid? Do I have hemorrhoids? Or is it a yeah. colon problem? I think uh, the best way to figure that out is to do a colonoscopy. Um, and I recommend to anybody who comes to see me for hemorrhoids, I, I usually make sure that we check that, that part out. So, Depending on their age or at any age? At any age anymore. Yeah, so I've if seen you have... some pretty young patients who've okay. had colorectal cancer. So I, if you have bleeding, I, I pretty strongly recommend getting it checked out. Now, another sort of, I like to myth bust periodically. 
the myth bust. You can't have colon cancer if you're not losing weight. Oh, I wish that were so. <laughs> but but yeah, not true. not true, not true. Not everybody loses weight with colon cancer. Yeah. Sometimes, depending on where it is, you still absorb all the calories and yet you still have this cancer because it hasn't started to cause those other symptoms. That's right. And sometimes people have no symptoms of yeah. weight loss. They can have colon cancer, have it found and who knew Absolutely and that's what's going right. on. Absolutely right. Okay. My bowels are regular. I don't need a colonoscopy because everything's normal every morning. Uh, well, we're myth busting again. Uh, yes, yes. So I wish that were the case. I, I, I think it, it's it's a good hider. Uh, colon cancer is so it really can just be silent for a right. long time. That's right. That's right. almost like high. There's a couple of things in medicine we call like a silent killer. High blood pressure can do that. Mm-hmm. Sneaky things, pancreatic cancer. Yeah. By yeah. the time you find it, it's usually pretty advanced. Pretty late. And yeah. who knew? Because you had no symptoms. Yeah. And colon cancer can be the same way. It can. So don't mess with your colon. No, that's Literally. that's why screening is such a great thing because if we can catch it early, we can treat it and it can we can potentially even cure it. So that's that's great. Now, let's say somebody has a surgery, they've got a colon cancer. It's a stage 1. Does the surgery cure them? We consider that all the treatment that you need. So yes, okay. in a word, yes. Yes, it's cured. Stage 2. Still, surgery for most patients is all that you need. We still recommend that patients with stage two, they have the option to go, to go talk to an oncologist who's a doctor who prescribes chemotherapy and treats cancer. Um, because there are some patients in that stage two group that might get some benefit out of taking chemotherapy. Um, but for most people, by and large, surgery is all that you need. Stage three. Those are the patients who are really going to benefit from taking chemotherapy after having surgery. I think surgery is still the the number one thing to do. Take the tumor out. That's right. Get it out. That's right. It's like a weed. Cancer is like a weed. And so surgery pulls out the weed, but then you got to worry about the rootlets, especially with stage three colon cancer, which is where the colon cancer is moved into some of the lymph nodes nearby where the tumor was. So we don't know if any cancer cells might still be lurking in the body. And chemotherapy helps clean up that that aspect of things. So it can really make a big difference for patients who have stage three colon cancer. All right. Now you know what's next. Stage four. You got it. Yeah. So in that case, um, surgery is sometimes helpful, um, but probably we're not going to be able to cure the colon cancer in that in that situation. So that's a little bit harder. And that's when we see people who they make up that third leading cause of cancer death in the United States would be those stage four metastasized. Now, you mentioned a little bit, where does it go? It goes to lymph nodes, it goes to liver, it goes to lungs. Mm-hmm. Those it... are the top three. Okay. Um, it can go other places too, but typically it, most of them are going to go to the liver or the lungs. And sometimes we can even do surgery um, along with chemotherapy to remove those metastases or those those spread sites. Um, but once it has gotten into those other organs, it's a little bit harder to know for sure that you've gotten rid of all of it. Absolutely. Okay. Now, you're a colorectal surgeon, and we really didn't spend a lot of time talking about rectal cancer. But that actually, tell me, rectal cancer, HPV, those two things seem to be going together. Yeah. Well, actually, HPV and anal cancer are related. Rectal cancer is still part of the large intestine, so um, it's still an adenocarcinoma or carcinoma of the gland lining of the colon. Um, and it, it follows a lot of the same 
demographics, if you will, as colon cancer. So still, it's being screened for with colonoscopy. That's right. 50 to 80 approximately. That's right. Um, Do your colonoscopy. They will look at the rectum. Yes. Okay. Um, I think that rectal cancer, sometimes we treat a little bit differently from colon cancer because of where it is in the body. Um, Sometimes, depending on how advanced the cancer is at the time that we diagnose it, we might recommend doing radiation therapy or chemotherapy before we do surgery and then go do surgery afterwards. Why is that? Uh, So if it's a little bit more advanced, doing radiation beforehand really helps kind of control the cancer where it's out in the lymph nodes or things like that, maybe, um, or at risk for being out in the lymph nodes. So it kind of shrinks it a little bit? It can shrink it and it can melt away. I I call it melt away the cancer in the lymph nodes or in the in the actual tumor itself, it can make it smaller. And so it can actually help facilitate surgery where we want to reconnect things at the bottom too. So higher chance of people being able to have pooping out the bottom kind of function after surgery if if they have rectal cancer. So in that sort of a situation, the more healthy tissue you can save, the better. Do the treatment, radiation, chemotherapy before, then do surgery, and then often do it again after. Yeah, do more chemotherapy after after the surgery and then Make sure it's completely gone away. That's right. Because rectal cancer can come back. Yes. Okay. And then anal cancer, HPV. Anal cancer, HPV. So it's more of a, similar to cervical cancer, um, HPV tends to affect the cells that are in what are called transition zones where it's changing from one type of cell to another. And so that the anal skin is an area of transition from the gland lining of the colon to outside skin. And so those cells are more prone to mutating or changing and becoming a, a squamous cell cancer or a skin kind of cancer. And not something you want to get. Not something you want to get. Although, um, yeah, I think if you are having bleeding or pain around the bottom, go get it checked out. Uh, sometimes it's something that we can just remove with surgery if it does turn out to be an anal cancer. Other times we treat it with radiation and that's very successful also. So the general message from today is don't fear colon testing. That's right. We're your friends. We're your friends. Good things can happen if you catch things early. That's right. And you could wind up curing a cancer. That's right. So if you haven't done your colonoscopy, you're over 50, or you're scared of doing it, talk with your doctor. Find out what are your options. There are a variety of options out there, including some of the poo testing, the stool testing we talked about, and colonoscopy. But do something. That's right. March That's is a great message. Colon yes. Cancer Awareness Month. Do something. Yes. And hopefully you'll find something early. Never even have to meet you in person, but you're so nice. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Rebecca Sawai from Kaiser Permanente for joining us and sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. Thank you. We will have to do it again. If you'd yeah. like to hear this show again, you can click on our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on Facebook as well. Our engineer is David Chong. Our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you next week. We're going to be talking a little bit about diabetes, new research trials going on right here in the islands. What are the latest in medications that can be used for diabetes? And what sort of things should you do if you are diabetic? How do you know what's the best medicine for you? We'll have those answers and more. We will be right here next Monday. We'll see you then right here on The Body Show.